I think we're good to go. Ready to go. He's Christian. He's Jimmer. Welcome back to Two PTs and a Bag of Chips. This week, we're going to go over foot and ankle health with our uh, new friend, Dr. Mohamed Ramawi. Yes, all the way in New York. How cool is that? And then we're going to review the Lay's sour cream and onion potato chips. Yeah, that would not be cool. Well, we just want to say uh, welcome to the show, Dr. Ramawi. We are really excited to have you. Oh, thank you for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. You work at Grand Central Foot Care, which is basically right across the street from one of my all-time favorite buildings. Grand Central Station. I love Grand Central Station. Never yeah. been. Oh. I used to commute through there for two years, pretty much commuted through there every day. So. Oh, wow. Loved it. Yeah, yeah. It's beautiful. I'm still dumbfounded every day as I walk by. I really am. It's amazing. I just, it, it's it's such a like throwback in that neighborhood. It's kind of crazy. Everything around yeah. is all huge and stuff. It's you cool. know, I, I told my cousin when I first started working there, it gives you this false sense of importance. You know, you may not be important, but when you're in that neighborhood, you feel like you are. <laughs> That's awesome. It's a great place. Do you do you live in Manhattan as well? Or are you? Uh... Oh, no, 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 no. I'm a podiatrist. We don't make that much. So <laughs> I, I, I commute from Brooklyn. There we go. That's good. That sounds way more expensive than Manhattan, by the way. It, Brooklyn? It you know, it's, it's changed. Yeah, it's yeah. changed a lot. But in, in my area, thankfully, uh, things have been a little baseline. But uh, it'll probably change, too. Who knows? Yeah. So, so Brooklyn was named after the Dutch city Brooklyn, yeah. which is mm-hmm. one of the like the wealthiest cities in the country. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. That's where all the, yeah. the hoity-matoities live. Uh, pretty much all of New York is named after something Dutch. My personal favorite is, is Yonkers, which Yonkers. is which is Yonky, yeah, which means like young one, yeah. which is just a little boy, Yonky, yeah, Yonkers, which is fun. Dr. Marawi is a board qualified foot, rear foot, and reconstructive ankle surgeon. He specializes in traumatic foot and ankle injuries as well as complex deformities. Sounds super exciting. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> uh, you went to the New York College of Podiatric Medicine. You were a four year class president. Uh, mm-hmm. Top ten percent of your class. Show off. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Three-year residency at the Cobb Medical Center in Jefferson Health, where you were named the uh, Podiatric Resident of the Year. Is and it podiatric or podiatric? I don't know. That's a good uh, podiatric. 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 Yeah, he's been saying it right this whole time. This whole time. Wow. I've been nailing it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and you are an associate of the American College of Foot and Ankle Surgeons. That's quite the list. I don't know. That's impressive. That's why. Oh, thank we, you, guys. That's, that's why we never did my resume. Yeah. Physical <laughs> therapist. Four years of PT school. I was definitely not class president. Yeah, but you were one of the top class. seven guys in your class. Four. There was only four guys in my class. Four guys in your class. And seven, <laughs> seventeen girls. We st- we stayed busy. That's one way to do it. We're going to talk about foot and ankle health. Basically, the the first question is: is kind of how did you get into podiatric medicine? Yeah, so for, for the longest time, you know, uh, I was big into sports growing up, and I always wanted to mix sports with medicine in some aspect. And for the longest time, I really thought that would be orthopedic surgery. Um, I always was very fond of the foot and ankle in the sense that I myself uh, exhibited uh, numerous ankle sprains and injuries. But as I progressed through my career, I was exposed to podiatry. Uh, and at the time in college, it just made more sense to pursue a venue that I would be able to specialize in the foot and ankle directly rather than have to do a, a five-year residency and then a fellowship to specialize. So I kind of pursued podiatry, and so far, so good. It's funny how um, when we get patients in, they either love or hate feet, and the, I would say the majority hate feet. It's weird why yeah. people hate feet, because I'm fascinated by feet. I'm not like that, Christian. Um, one, one of my, okay, um, Rex Ryan. <laughs> one of my, one of my uh, good friends here is a, a podiatrist that I've worked with for over 20 years, and... Um, 
So we, we see a fair share of foot and ankle injuries. So it, it's a fascinating joint, don't you think? Yeah, you know, this has kind of been my MO as far as like podcast and speaking to different people is trying to shed light on the importance of the foot and ankle. Um, just in respect, in respect, you know, you guys are well aware as physical therapists how many things can go wrong in terms of the foot and ankle. And if you neglect that, it can really affect you for a, a longer extended period of time. Uh, every day is foot and ankle day. I mean, we're walking daily. We're using our feet and ankles daily, whether it be driving a car, running, or just running errands. Uh, and we want to make sure we're our most optimal level at all functions. So that's kind of been my goal as far as promoting foot and ankle health. Does, yeah, does it, does it rub you wrong that it's a lot of these foot and ankle injuries and, and, and um, problems are constantly misdiagnosed by well-meaning primary care doctors or, or physical therapists who um, just don't get what's going on? Um, you know, I'd like to think they have a very fa uh, sound knowledge. A lot of my referrals come from physical therapists, and they're, they're always spot on, at, at least the ones I work with. Uh, from send yeah, they really are. I mean, they'll, they'll get patients, and I'm sure you guys could attest to this. Patients will come to physical therapists as their first line of defense, so they'll notice swelling or pain or agony, and they'll just go to their PT, uh, whether that's what they do or they're very comfortable with their physical therapist. And a lot of times the physical therapist will say, hey, you know, uh, your symptoms are consistent with possibly having a stress fracture. I need to send you to a podiatrist. Or, hey, you know, I think you have some sort of Achilles tendinosis or tendinitis, but I'm going to send you to a podiatrist to figure out what's happening here. So physical therapists have had great experience in, in my end uh, where it gets a little bit frustrating. And I don't think it's their fault at all is uh, at urgent care centers. You know, at urgent care centers, I think their job is to make sure that you're you know, basically not dying per se, or you, you're not an emergent <laughs> need, right? Yeah, that's, yeah. that's To me, that's their intention. Yeah. So they do a good job at screening the patient, making sure nothing's fractured, nothing's dislocated, nothing's emergent per se. Uh, but there are times where, unfortunately, and to no fault of their own, because I don't think they should be equipped to know these things, but certain injuries that are subtle to just someone with general knowledge that are really detrimental from a podiatry aspect, that goes unmissed, or, and that's why a lot of urgent care doctors will tell you follow up with a specialist, even though your x-rays may be negative. And I think it's it's crucial for the patient to do so, because as we both know, there are things like uh, Lisfranc injuries or uh, partial tears of tendons and Achilles tendon and whatnot that urgent care may not diagnose immediately off the bat, but uh, a specialist may be, may be able to do so. Yeah, I think we've seen our fair share of missed peroneal tendon tears or partial tears that, sure. um, you know, they get immobilized for a while, then you end up with a nice stiff foot with a partial tear. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, yeah, so, yeah. I, yeah I've, I've seen that a lot, you know, ankle sprains that, you know, they give them an air boot or air cast or whatever it may be, and a proper evaluation will reveal, hey, you know, I think you damaged your perineals. And not only is that going to change our treatment plan, but it's going to change our, our physical rehab plan as well. So, uh, and if that kind of goes missed and you go through the length of your career with that, you may have some problems down the line, yeah. for sure. Urgent cares, in my experience, definitely are... Uh you know, like you said, emergent, first line of defense, but you always want to follow up. We definitely see way too many. Just this week, I had a lady come in with a with a tib fib fracture that they missed 
at the mm. urgent care. Was it a compression fracture? Or? Yeah. Yeah. So, and that, I think that's the problem with a lot of these stress fractures too, right? People get an x-ray and the x-ray doesn't immediately reveal a stress fracture. Absolutely. And a lot of times it may never reveal a stress fracture. Right. And, yeah. But they get, they get given a clean bill of health and on their way they go. Yeah. Yes, so stress fractures are tricky, right? Because the, the really, for me at least, the only way to really diagnose one is to have experience in dealing with them. Like, hey, you know, your x-rays don't show a stress fracture, but your story is pretty similar to what a stress fracture would sound like. Your examination is pretty uh, coinciding with the stress fracture. So guess what? I'm going to treat it like it's a stress fracture for now until proven otherwise. Yeah. And that's kind of, it's, it's like a diagnosis uh, without a diagnosis per se, because you don't have the x-rays to back it up, but you have enough experience to say, you know what, according to this clinical exam and your story, I think I'm going to put you in a boot or whatever it may be at the time. And, and I think we see that a lot, and you may, you must see that a lot too, where people start to rely on imaging, and imaging is never foolproof. I mean, there are so many MRIs yeah. that don't show what is going on, and, and the same thing yeah. with x-rays. Yeah, I, you know, my, my mentor taught me something, I'll never forget this. He said, your history and physical is supposed to make the diagnosis. The x-ray or MRI or CT, they're only going to confirm what you already suspect. If you're looking for these extra imaging tests to confirm a diagnosis, then you have no idea what you're doing at this point. You, 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 you shouldn't rely on the x-rays itself because we all know x-rays, MRIs, CTs, they may be extra sensitive. So you should never send someone for these exams without some sort of reason to do so. Uh, for instance, if I have a lateral ankle pain, right, someone just sprained their ankle, inversion-type injury, if I send that patient for an MRI right away, we're talking about acutely after an ankle sprain, what do you think that MRI is going to do? It's going to pick up everything and anything there is, any sort of fluid collection, any edema, any ligament attenuation, and so forth. So I, I, I agree with you fully. You have to be careful when you order these tests, and you can't be too reliant on these tests at the same time. Um, I think experience is something that is invaluable in cases like that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, right now, what would you say is kind of the most common, you know, ailment that you're seeing or, or issue that that kind of pops up most often for you? For me, being in New York City um, and just being around a lot of business professionals, I see a lot of plantar fasciitis. Um, and that just comes from uh, putting a lot of miles on their feet along with improper footwear. You know, unfortunately, even though a lot of people may have desk jobs, they still require them to wear, you know, high heels or flats or dress shoes and whatnot, uh, which I always found ironic because you're hiding behind a desk for a majority of the day, you know, but for, I guess for the 15 minutes you're not, you want to make sure you have uh, nice shoes. I'm not sure. Yeah. But uh, plantar fasciitis is something I see very often, uh, every day, multiple times. And plantar fasciitis, as we know, is an inflammation of the ligamentous type structure on the bottom of the foot. You know, it, it can get inflamed and that inflammatory response elicits serious pain and discomfort. Um, so that's something I see multiple times a day, and you kind of just have an algorithm on how to treat them. If treated too late or improperly, it can be troublesome for quite some time. Do, do you see a lot of these that, that end up being very chronic? Um, mm -hmm. we, 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 yeah. end up, we end up having a couple of patients right now that ended, ended up with a surgical release, and yeah. I, I don't know. What's your opinion on, on doing surgery on them, on the plantar fasciitis? Uh, so I, I give it I give it the best effort it could possibly get. Uh, the chronic cases that I've seen, 
weren't my patients per se. These are people I've inherited from other places, uh, such as the physical therapist or other podiatrists who just say, you know, I've used every tool I have in my shed. Can, is there something else you can offer them? Uh, as far as surgical intervention, if it's warranted, it's warranted. I mean, there's almost, uh, there's a lot of treatments for plantar fasciitis, but once you run out of them, I mean, there's nothing left to do but surgery. And luckily for people who have plantar fascial surgery, it's it's associated with a high success rate. Uh, I 95% of people with plantar fasciitis, and that's not a made-up number, that's an actual stat, get better with conservative treatment alone. So we're talking about a 5% of the population that have it will end up needing surgery. But it, it happens. It's not common, but it's not uncommon, um, per se. Yeah. Yeah. Have you seen sort of partial tears of the plantar fasciitis? Do you find those kind of more yeah. difficult? Yeah, of course. You have to d- differentiate between an acute plantar fasciitis condition and a possible rupture, right? Um, if a patient exhibits signs or tells you something in their history that's consistent with a rupture, whether it be I heard a pop or there's bruising on the bottom of the foot, uh, you have to put them in a boot, in my opinion. Now, there's some people that say put them in a protective shoe and walk them because you don't want the plantar fascia to scar in too thick. But I think the boot, a cam walker, when I say boot, I mean cam walker, Mm -hmm. is the perfect balance between offloading and allowing the plantar fascia to move just enough to make sure that when it heals, it heals in a nice demeanor without scarring in. And of course, once the acute phase subsides and you give the fascia enough time to heal, physical therapy afterwards will break down any residual scar tissue and make sure the plantar fascia has the strength and elasticity it needs to go about its function. Uh, but yeah, differentiating between acute plantar fasciitis and rupture is crucial. At times, acute plantar fasciitis without rupture can present the same as a rupture. I mean, these patients will come in limping and saying, Doc, I can't put my foot down. I don't, I don't know what to do. And in those cases, I, I also put them in a boot. I mean, putting people in a boot just to calm things down in the initial phases uh, just works in my hands, and I don't see uh, a reason not to. Say in terms of boots, uh, you know, how long do you tend to put somebody in there for, like post-surgical or, or, or surgery preventative kind of a – are the time frames different for you? Yeah, you know, it depends what they're coming in with. If it's just the acute plantar fasciitis, we'll do it for a week, you know, three to five days. The acute inflammatory response is usually a week long, mm-hmm. and things tend to die down after that. So I'll give them a boot. I'll supplement it with anti-inflammatories. I'll follow up with them in a week and see how they're doing. If they're doing okay, then we slowly progress them out of the boot and into a protective shoe like a sneaker. And then we talk about things we can do to make sure that this doesn't happen again. So, you know, stretching, uh, proper shoe wear, maybe orthotics, and so forth. Because with, with plantar fasciitis, for me, once you get it once, there's something in you, whether it be your biomechanics, your foot structure, your your footwear, that leaves you more susceptible to getting it again. So we'll, we'll calm things down, and then we'll figure out ways how to prevent this from reoccurring. So, so that kind of leads me to a question that I get frequently from, from patients. If they have orthotics prior to the onset of plantar fasciitis or, or any other trauma or injury to the foot, do you send them back into the same orthotics or do you always prescribe new ones? It's a great question. I mean, if, if, uh, if that were the case, we would do a biomechanical exam again, uh, fit them in the same orthotic they have and see if it's meeting their needs. Okay. If so, I, it's tough to say that the orthotic caused the injury. You know, sometimes injuries and, and conditions are unavoidable. Uh, for all we know, that orthotic may have spared them of a more severe injury at that time. 
So it's it's tough to say, but it's going to be uh, an individual basis on making that decision. Yeah. Well, sometimes we'll get patients in that um, you know they've had orthotics for twenty five years. They're they're antiques. Mm-hmm. And then they haven't worn them for a while, and then their foot starts hurting, so they put them back in. Yeah, you become reliant on them, and I'll tell you why. I, I have patients like that as well. If you have, you know, adult-acquired flat foot, or you're more prone to PTTD at a young age, the podiatrist or the orthopedist or whoever you saw that prescribed you the orthotics knew that if I don't support these structures now, you're going to be hurting down the line later. Um, and yeah, it's it's absolutely true that. People who come out of the orthotics over a prolonged period start to say, oh, my God, I can't do this anymore. Uh, mostly in, in my clinic, people who wear orthotics initially, they all can't stand it. They, they don't like it there. But then within two weeks to about a month, they go, oh, my God, how, how have I never lived with this? Yeah, can't, you know, so. can't do without now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They become very reliant on it for sure. Uh, what is, would you say is kind of your favorite, you know, injury to treat or? Yeah, yeah you know, I. I I don't want to phrase it like that. Like, I don't like seeing people get injured. Right, right. Uh, but as far as like uh, something that I can relate to are ankle sprains. You know, I, I grew up playing basketball religiously and uh, suffered numerous amount of ankle sprains, ruptured uh, a few ligaments. And it's something I can relate to the patient with. Um, and I know the problems that can occur if you neglect this thing. Uh, people walk off ankle sprains every day. I mean, we're talking about 50% of the population at some point in their life will exhibit an ankle sprain. Less than half of them will ever go see medical evaluation for it. And in my world, if you sprain your ankle enough to elicit pain, then you did something serious, right? Because the ligaments, they're so strong. Their, their purpose is to hold two bones together and make sure those bones don't deviate from one another. If you sprained your ankle enough to a point where your body's sending out those pain receptors, then you hurt them somewhat, okay? And let's just take you know x-rays, make sure you didn't break anything because sometimes a severe sprain and a low-grade fibular fracture present the same way. And you, the only way to properly diagnose that is to get an x-ray or get an evaluation. So for me, ankle sprains are probably the number one thing just because uh, of my past experience with them. And in my eyes, if, if a doctor's been through something, they, they tend to uh, be able to relate with the patient that much more. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Uh, with the ankle sprains, obviously nowadays we're seeing a lot of high ankle sprains and that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I always find that sort of to be a bad name for it because it's a syndesmosis injury, but nobody understands yeah. what you're saying when you say that. Um, yeah. how, do you, uh, how do you find that, you know, making that connection with a patient? Is that, is that easy for you to relate that kind of thing to them? Yeah, so the, the ligament I tore was the syndesmosis, right? So yeah. I was diagnosed with a, a, you know, day-to-day ankle sprain. And to me at the time, that was believable because I sprained my ankle all the time. Mm-hmm. But after eight, I think it was like eight to ten weeks, I started noticing I, I didn't get better at all at all like it, it just didn't feel right turns out i ruptured my syndesmosis and uh obviously we both we all know that that's a it's a pretty gruesome injury um so the only way to properly diagnose that is with a physical exam you know there are tests you do as far as differentiating between a syndesmosis and your just common uh, lateral ankle sprain and the problem is the treatments are different and as the physical therapy aspect of medicine knows the rehab is different you know, so you want to be able to differentiate your type of ankle sprain, whether it be a eversion type, inversion type, or you know the misnomer high ankle sprain, like you said. Uh, so yeah, I think differentiating between those three and getting you the proper treatment protocol and then the proper rehab protocol is instrumental for sure. 
I think that's a problem we run into with, and that might have been what Christian was referring to as well, is that if you get a patient in with a high ankle sprain, they, they hear ankle sprain. They don't differentiate between high and low. So they figure an ankle mm-hmm. sprain, two, three, four weeks, I'm good to go. And exactly. If they, and if they continue to have pain, you know, they, they, they can't understand or they, that maybe they're not being told properly, but mm-hmm. that there's a significant difference in, in, in time frame and healing time between a high ankle sprain and a regular ankle sprain. A hundred, a hundred percent. The healing time is different. The rehab is different. It's, it's, it's different. Even though it's still the ankle, I mean, we, we both know medically speaking, it's really different. And the energy that was forced, you know, the ATFL, the lateral ankle ligament that's commonly ruptured or injured is very weak. So when that happens, it's easy for us not to brush it off, but be, okay, this, this will heal in this amount of time and we're going to regain this amount of strength. But the energy it took to rupture or injure or sprain your syndesmotic ligament is way different, you know, and that's why the healing is different. And uh, again, I couldn't agree with you more as far as why it's important to differentiate between the two. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's not a fun one, unfortunately. Mm. Yeah. Not at all. So most important question we've got here today, what is the best sports experience in New York City? Uh, the best sports experience. You know, I've, I've been fortunate enough to experience uh, many different times of New York sports history from uh, the Giants winning the Super Bowl to uh, LeBron James' first game at the Garden. Uh, for me, anything New York Giants related is going to be a great time, regardless of our record. You know, <laughs> it, 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 it just, uh, it's an atmosphere I can't describe. Uh, you know, I've been to different football stadiums. Philadelphia is, is a close second for sure. But uh, for me, fans, New York Those fans yeah. are crazy. Yeah. Yeah, they're a little much. I remember going to my first Philly Giants game when I was 12 and I was wearing a Giants jersey. I don't, I don't know who, why no one advised me not to. <laughs> and as I'm going up the escalator, people are tugging my, my, Giants jersey and mind you I'm 12 yeah. I, I don't have facial hair at this point you know I'm, I'm, a, I'm a scrawny tall kid and I, I couldn't believe it I was like oh my god these guys they're crazy these are the uh, people that booed Santa Claus they, they'll take down 12 year olds they don't care they threw yeah. in there. <laughs> yeah I was I was there for the Eagles Super Bowl as well I was doing my wow. training in Philly so I saw that and that was I mean, I was at the parade. I saw some things I've never seen in my life before. I said, wow. And, and you probably don't want to see them again. No, 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 no. I mean, I've been to two Giants parades, and those were pretty crazy. I mean, don't get me wrong. But uh, Philly fans, they just know how to take it uh, to a different level. They're, they're, they're an interesting bunch. Yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah. Um, all right, so I guess we'll close with kind of one last question here, and that is what is the one thing you wish kind of all people did to help take care of their feet a little better? Easy. Uh, just get a proper evaluation. You know, it, it, it's easy to go to a primary care once a year to make sure everything's okay. No one ever thinks to go to a foot and ankle or anybody in physical medicine to kind of properly evaluate their biomechanical aspect or just make sure everything's okay. But once things go wrong, they they tend to always stay that way or you just never feel 100% again. And the best way to make sure that that doesn't happen is just to get a proper evaluation. Uh, there's no reason not to take advantage of the resources you have out there. We're, they're very equipped from physical therapists to podiatrists, orthopedists, whatever your venue may be, I would suggest or strongly recommend you seek evaluation. Yep. <clears throat> be proactive instead of reactive, right? 
Absolutely. Yeah. Foot care is one of the first things that kind of goes out the window when you start to see other signs. Diabetes yeah. is a big one, but also just things related to, to, to cognitive decline. You know, you start to see a lot of foot, foot issues. And then I, I, have a, I have a pet peeve, and I, I'm hoping you can support me in this. I, mm. We have so many 16-, 17-, 18-year-old girls that walk in on flip-flops. Yeah. And um, I, I've threatened to cut them in half if they don't take them off and wear better shoes. What, what is your opinion on flip-flops? Yeah, so the two worst shoe gears, in my opinion, are uh, flats and flip-flops. I mean, when we talk about no structural support, and not even that, but detrimental support, uh, flats and uh, flip-flops are probably the two up there in terms of that. Even a, a two-inch heel is better than flip-flops. Yeah. And that's saying something because that's not that doesn't mean two-inch heels are great. <laughs> no. I'm just saying that's how bad flip-flops are. And in the summertime, uh, the amount of plantar fasciitis or Achilles tendonitis that comes through my office is unbelievable. And it's all the same theme. Uh, I was at the beach in my flip-flops. Uh, I was wearing flats all day, whatever it may be. But if you came to my office during the summer, I, you would see plantar fasciitis and Achilles tendonitis over and over and over and over again. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm thinking about getting some construction shears, and every time somebody comes in in flip-flops, I'm just going to proactively cut them in half. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Barefoot. You know, and the, the thing is, I, I didn't realize these flip-flops that are being bought, they're just like, you know, they're, they're not some sort of brand-name flip-flops or have some integrity flip-flops. They, they just buy them from any store for $15 and just go about their days, and I was oh, yeah. like, oh, okay. Yeah, as long as they're trendy or colorful or it doesn't even... But, but even if you, wouldn't you agree, even if you had supportive, you know, quote-unquote flip-flops that have an arch support in them, if you don't have a heel strap to hold your heel in place, you're still going to slide right off of that insert. You, you know? Yeah, yeah, no. That, these are little modifications that they're trying to justify flip-flops because I think people are being more aware. Yeah. And they, they, they really are because all it yeah. takes is for you to get plantar fasciitis or some sort of tendonitis once to say, I don't want to do this again. I really don't want to do this. Yeah, I don't want to do this again to myself. Because as we know, plantar fasciitis can resolve itself from days to months. And if you're dealing with that with months, when summer comes back around, you're going to tell yourself, no, thank you. You know, just give me my sneakers. Sticking with the tennies. Which brings us to a question of this week. Well, it's the answer from last week. And you probably know the answer. But why is a sneaker called a sneaker? I'm not sure. Was it it used to... uh, Sneak up on someone to be extra quiet. <laughs> yeah, there you much. go. It's because the rubber sole made them so quiet. Oh my yeah. god! Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it come to New York in the rainy season. There's no quiet sneakers here. <laughs> <laughs> it's squeaky left and right. Yeah, they'd be called squeakers instead of sneakers. Sque- exactly. Exactly. That's all you hear down the halls. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So trivia time this week, everyone. The new question. It is somewhat Easter related. Uh, the Fabergé eggs, which are known as the most expensive eggs in the world, a total of 50 Imperial, which is uh, the Russian royal family commissioned eggs, were produced. Only 43 remain intact. The question is, what is the name of the very first Imperial Fabergé egg? Wow. I know. Y- you researched this. Yeah, I spent some time. <laughs> we got a little carried away. They're fascinating, actually. That's the sad. Things. There are so many things you can look up, and that's what you went for. That's what I went for. I don't know. It seemed interesting to me. Faber-Shay you know, I don't think eggs. that's. I don't think that's sad. I gotta. I gotta go against you here. I think that's a, a, a neat little fact to have in your back pocket. That's only because Christians from New York. <laughs> you, you, you New Yorkers all band together. 
Well, from Connecticut, thank you very much. You're from Connecticut, yeah, which is the backyard of New York. I yeah. know that. Yeah, that was a suburb. <laughs> we commuted to New York. Well, yeah, 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 from Metro North, Metro, Metro North. Metro North, Metro North <laughs> that's man. right. Yep, New Haven line. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> yep. So Fabergé eggs, are they like real eggs or are they artificial? No, no. So, so Fabergé is a uh, Russian company that's changed hands many times. It's now been purchased by like the great-great-granddaughters. And is now privately held again. That totally sounds French, Fabergé. It does, but it's, uh, yeah, so the, the Fabergé eggs are, are incredibly intricate, uh, highly ornate, incredibly expensive. I think the least expensive one sold for $1.4 million. Oh, wow. That sounds like a waste of money. And these, these, <laughs> these you, could, yeah. you could have like three or four Ferraris for one Fabergé egg. Yeah, yeah. Do the math. Um, so, uh, you know, in... In Moscow, I think the uh, the Kremlin Armory holds ten Fabergé eggs, which is the the most you'll find in one location, and that collection is valued at over fifty million. You went absolutely bonkers on the Fabergé egg. Hey, you know, I know where to get you for your birthday. Thank you. <laughs> you make too much money if you're getting me a Fabergé egg. Uh, no, the reason I know this is because they recently re-released an imperial, quote unquote, imperial egg. Uh, which means the Fabergé company is now being part of itself again, has released an imperial uh, homage, let's say. And so those are available for sale. Fantastic. Yeah. Dr. Ramawi is sound asleep now. Yeah. No, not at all. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to remember what movie they were featured in or what show. And I want to say it's uh, with what's that show with Thomas Shelby on Netflix. I, but I, I, I didn't want to speak out loud because I may be completely wrong. I, know, I think they stole one in uh, Ocean's 11. Ocean's 13. Or 12 or is that 13 what it is? Ocean's uh, 13. One of those that, was well. that was displayed in Rome. Yeah. I think it's in a Thomas Crown affair even. They're, they're, they're pretty well known for their sheer value. Uh, their small size. I mean, they're between uh, you know two and, and four inches. So they're easy yeah. to steal. You can put them in your yeah. pocket theoretically. Maybe that's what we need yeah. to look at. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I know a couple of souvenir stores here in New York that sell them. Okay. There you go. They're, yeah. They'll be easy to swap out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All righty. We are up to chip time here. So we've got the Lay's Sour Cream and Onion. This is uh, Dr. Ramawi's favorite chip. Yeah, we're going to have Absolutely. to have a discussion off the air about that. This is, yeah, one, of, oh this is one of Jimmer's uh, least favorite chips. So, <laughs> uh, you know, this will be good good times. Uh, we got chip to air ratio on the... Uh, the smallest bag you can buy in the store that's not an individual bag, which is a eight ounce bag, so it's pretty big. But it's fifty percent chip to air ratio, which is super important. All right, we, we're actually going to try these. Now. I'm going to try them. Yeah. All right. Okay. Know. I'm going I'm to do this. Just just one. You got a double fold though. It's the smallest one. Yeah, that's okay. And um, it's onion. Yeah, I'm not changing my opinion. No. No. Yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. I mean, I think personally the Lay's chip is not the crispiest of chips. Can I say that it, it kind of tastes a little bit like vomit? You can say that out loud, yeah. Okay, it yeah, tastes yeah. a little bit like vomit. Oh, that's, I mean, that's, you know. I don't know what why that is, but that's. Some people um, don't like cilantro. They think it tastes like soap. But there's no cilantro in here. Some people think sour cream and onion doesn't taste like sour cream and onion. Correct. That's all I'm it, saying. That's all yeah. I'm saying. You know, no, so. Uh, Everyone's got their own opinion on these things. Well, the good thing is, the less I eat, the more there will be out there in the world for you guys to eat. <laughs> uh, all right, so thumbs up, thumbs down. I think we know where Jimmer stands. 
<laughs> We're going to make them verbalize it a little bit. Well, though. let me put it. It's, it's not the worst chip I ever ate. Oh, okay. By a long way. It, it, I just don't enjoy the flavor. So I'm, I'm just going to give it one thumb down. Just one thumb down? Yeah. That's pretty good. But I'm not having any more. Right, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to stick to just the one. Uh, this, this we assume for you would be a three thumbs up, but, you know, I don't want to speak out of turn for you on this one. Uh, no, but I personally love it. Uh, you know what it is, but I'll give it I'll give it to you guys. It's either one of those chips that you love or just don't love. I've never experienced someone who would say, you know what, they're okay. Give me a couple. Yeah. It's like, yeah. I, I love it or, nah, I'm okay. I'll I pass. I think that sums it up the best. A- absolutely correct. Yeah. Yeah. I'm also on the thumbs down wagon myself. I, I don't like <laughs> them either. So, so why are you giving me all this grief when you don't enjoy them either? Well, I don't think they taste like vomit. I just <laughs> I, I, said, I have an option, I'm not picking them. I said kind of. Well, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Alrighty, well, thank you so much for listening today. We really appreciate it. We can't thank you enough, Dr. Ramawi, for coming on. Yeah, uh, thanks oh, so, thank you thanks for having for, me. Thanks for reaching out. That was extremely kind of you. So I've got of some course. brothers in Manhattan. I'm going to send them your way. One of them definitely has plantar fasciitis. So, <laughs> so we'll see. Any, um, anytime. And they work actually re- relatively close to you. So Grand Central Foot Care, which is basically, what's that, 42nd and 5th? 42nd and Lex. 42nd and Lexington. Ah, uh, you can reach them at 212-697-3293, grandcentralfootclinic.com, and most importantly, on the Instagram at nycfootdoc, that's D-O-C, that's it. Actually, it, it's grandcentralfootcare.com, not grandcentralfootclinic. Don't Did send do them that? to the wrong place. No, don't send them to the wrong place. Yeah, no. grandcentralfootcare.com. Grand yeah, I'm not sure who you're trying to give uh, my business yeah, no, to. But is, no. we, yeah. we, we want, we want <laughs> you to go to grandcentralfootcare.com. That's right. That's but right. that's a good name for uh, another clinic, I'll, we, I'll be honest with you. We may just go and open one across the yeah. street. <laughs> All righty, guys. Next week, we're going to be doing some wrist pain. We're also going to be reviewing the Kettle Honey Dijon compliments of... Uh, Mr. Obendorf. That sounds fantastic. So that'll be good there. If you like the show today, tell a friend, follow, review, subscribe. Anyone looking for information about this topic, follow us on Instagram and Twitter throughout the week. For information on Rebound Therapy, check out our website, reboundclinic.com. That's what happened. Yep. And if you've learned anything in today's session, take care of your feet. Yeah, take care of your feet. Go get a proactive foot exam. If you're having any kind of... You know, even if you don't have any foot pain, if you have any kind of foot issues, go 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 see a a, a board certified podiatrist and have them check it out. Yeah, absolutely. That'd be awesome. Absolutely. Yes, thank you again. We appreciate you coming on. We appreciate you, you know, making it out after a, a rough night at a wedding. So, <laughs> thank you. Thank I appreciate you guys having me. Really do, really absolutely. do. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Anytime, anytime. He's Jimmer. I'm Christian. Thank you for listening. <laughs>